Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 130 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today's guest, Deborah, is really special to me. She reached out to me a few weeks ago, and this was only six months after her son, Avon, had died. Their story was very unique, though, because Avon had actually almost died as an infant. He had a common respiratory infection that got worse and worse. He was placed on a ventilator and things got worse and worse. And they prayed and prayed and they got their miracle. Avon survived. And not only did he survive, he thrived. So sometimes when you are a bereaved parent like me, I have a hard time with those stories because these people got their miracle and I didn't. I am bothered by people who write about their teenagers getting in car accidents and walking away and being fine and the fact that God saved them. And I think to myself, God saved them? Why didn't God save Andy? Why didn't God give us the miracle? So Deborah's story, I think, is really important for us to listen to because she did get the miracle the first time. And then, six years later, she didn't. She's not a different person than she was six years ago. She didn't pray any differently than she did six years ago. But the outcome ended up being far, far different. So I do think it's good for those of us who have lost children to listen to someone who has had both extremes happen to them and how they go on after that miracle doesn't come. So I know you will really get so much from listening to Deborah and Avon's story. As a little reminder, I don't know how many people have signed up to get my emails every week, but if you haven't, go to my webpage, andysmom.com, and sign up to get the weekly emails. So if you get the weekly emails, they w- the write-up will be there along with three pictures that each guest sends and the link to directly go to listen to the episode from there. So I think it's really nice to be able to see the pictures of these kids so you kind of know what they look like and a little bit about their family even as you listen. So I just urge you to go there and sign up. In addition, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago now that we are starting a fundraising campaign to try to raise some funds to help cover the cost of the podcast. I've only received about three donations so far, so honestly, that has been a little disappointing. But as a reminder, everything is tax deductible, and you will receive a receipt for that. So any way you can help support our production costs, it would be really, really appreciated. The easiest way to donate is to text 
Andy's mom, all one one word, to the number 53555 on your cell phone. But you can also go to the website easily as well. Also, if you want to be a guest on the Always Andy's Mom podcast, you can write to me at marcy at andysmom.com. I just love hearing from people. Even if you don't want to be on and you just want to share your story, I always love to hear stories from other moms and dads and about their amazing children. So now just enjoy listening to Deborah, Avon's mom. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. I am really excited to get to hear about your sweet son, Avon. So why don't you just go ahead and start off by talking about him? Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Listen to a lot of stories from other parents. So just kind of excited to get to talk about our little boy. yeah, you know, I, I just to pause for a second, I do love that when you first wrote the email to me, you talked about how you listen at various, you know, areas in your house and you'll even your husband will catch you listening to me in the shower. So I <laughs> I think it's kind of funny now that you get to share your story. So we're not in the shower today. We're just here in our own homes having a nice little chat. Yes. So. I have listened to, um, so our son just passed away six months ago, so it's still pretty new. Really fresh, yeah. When I first um, started, you know, kind of seeking out books and things to listen to, um, the podcast just came up right away and I kind of dived head in and I think the first week I probably listened to eight or 10 of your guests and it was just really healing. And anytime I was in the car or in the shower and you were kind of always there with me and just hearing other people's stories and how they have continued to live after the death of their kids has just been, it's been what I needed. So. Well, and you just don't feel so alone because that is the overwhelming feeling, I think. And I feel like what I felt in those early days and weeks and months is just feeling so, so alone. And for me, I, you know, there wasn't a podcast to listen to. So for me, it was going to my support group every week. Like I felt a little bit better on Thursday nights. So I'm glad to be able to offer somebody like you something that you don't just get an hour and a half once a week that you can get it on your own little bits at a time. So 100%. (laughs) Well, again, we better get started now and talk about Avon because there's quite a lot to tell, actually. Yes. So Avon is our third son. We had twins that were born in 2012, twin boys. And then shortly after, um, just a year and a half later, we had Avon born. He was born at 27 weeks gestation. So he was a tiny little peanut. He weighed just over two pounds, five ounces. He needed a resuscitation at birth. A pretty traumatic in the scheme of things, delivery. Mm -hmm. Scary. Yeah. Were your twins early too, or were they not? They were. So our twins were 29 weekers. So they spent 50. Okay. (laughs) So you were used to this a little bit. We did. It was different. Mm -hmm. You know, when the twins were born, we only had the two of them. So I could spend every second at the hospital. But when Ethan was born, now I had you know, a tiny little guy in the hospital an hour away. And then I had twins at home. So it was much different. 
Yeah. Well, and and more unexpected too. I feel like when you are pregnant with twins, there's a part of you that thinks we could be spending some time in the NICU. This could be a long journey for us. But I'm sure when you got pregnant again and had this time a singleton, you thought, well, now this one's going to be normal. Now we'll be able to go all the way through and it will be just easy this time. hundred percent. You took the words right out. hundred <laughs> percent. And his NICU stay was, um, you know, it had its ups and downs, but he came home before his due date. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. He spent 87 days in the hospital. He did come home on oxygen, but it was easy. You know, we carry around a little tank at home with us and he stayed on oxygen at home for about a month, but we had our family together. We were so happy. We had our three boys within two years, which was chaos. (laughs) Yeah. But it was perfect. It was everything we could dream of. You know, our family was complete and um, chaotic. (laughs) Our house was never quiet. Yeah. But it was perfect. We had this great, wonderful life with our three boys. Mm -hmm. And we called them the three amigos. I mean, they did everything together. They were best of buddies, worst enemies. He he always laughed that he thought he was a triplet. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. With there being such a little bit of an age difference between them, you know, he did whatever they did. He didn't slow down. He didn't do anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he was at home and he was developing just like he should. He was hitting all of his milestones. Everything was great. In the summer, when he was six months old, he caught rhinovirus. Which is just a common cold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's your common cold. But when you're premature and you have those little lungs, it's hard to fight those little holds off. So we wound back up at the same hospital that he was born in. And um, he progressively was needing more oxygen and more support. And they decided to put him on a ventilator. And when they went to put him on the ventilator, his lungs clamped down and his heart stopped. And he had to be resuscitated again, this time for over 40 minutes. And we stood at his bedside and we watched the doctors and nurses fight to keep him to keep him with us. And They eventually did get his heart started, but they didn't know how much brain damage had happened. I mean, he had been, you know, without good oxygen supply for an extended period of time. And um, we were made very aware of the possibilities of what could, what could come out of this. They did the cooling procedure where they cooled his body and left him in a medically induced coma for several days to give his brain a chance to heal and when we finally did get the imaging of his brain a couple of days later, he had very, very minimal damage. Um, just a tiny little bit on the cerebellum and a tiny little bit on the peduncles. And everyone was basically in amazement. They said, you know, we can't believe that for this extended period of time, he just has yeah. that little bit of damage. But they were also very realistic with us and said, you know, he may never walk. He may never talk. His breathing, who knows what it's going to be. The cognitive impacts could be pretty significant. Mm -hmm. But we took him home 18 days later and um, we had therapies lined up like crazy. He was receiving speech and OT and anything you could, you know, you could list. He was getting it all. (laughs) Right. Right, right. But we didn't care. You know, we felt like we had this second chance. Well, a miracle, really. I mean, that's what you felt like. I mean, 42 minutes down. Wow. You don't think that you're coming back from that, right? I mean, that's not what you expect. And certainly when I was reading your email and 42 minutes down, I thought, oh, 
Well, this was the beginning of now a hard, hard life for this family and a lot of therapies and a lot of interventions, but that's not what happened. No, that's not what happened at all. <laughs> yeah. Aiden came home and he didn't stop. He was a living miracle. He started doing every single thing that the therapist would ask of him. He started walking just a little past a year. So typical range that, you know, a normal child would. I know. Average is 13 yep. months. So that that's average for not even a preemie. No, I think he started at 15 months, which adjusted would have been. Adjusted would about 13 months. Mm -hmm. He started talking and we laughed. We said once he started talking, he never stopped. He said, I love you all the time. He was just the sweetest, most caring little boy that you've ever met. He had the biggest heart of gold. He was friends with everyone. He had never met a stranger. He would go up to kids at the park and introduce himself. And he was just best buddies with everyone. So at age four, right before kindergarten, uh, all of the therapists said, we can't see him anymore. And my background's in yeah. special ed. <laughs> and I kept saying, no, we have to keep him. Like he's going to start kindergarten. I want to make sure everything's okay. And they kept saying, no, he doesn't, he, you don't need us anymore. He's done. Everything is really okay. <laughs> everything <is> okay. <laughs> and everything was actually better than okay. He was reading well above his grade level. His brothers would get upset sometimes because they would bring home homework and he could do the homework that was their assignments. So when we were virtual school, back when the pandemic was going on, I would just put him in front of the computer for the other kids class because he was, he wanted to learn. He wanted yeah. to do whatever they were doing. And he was just a sponge. His brain really healed in an absolutely amazing way. He um, was playing sports. He was on the swim team. There's this tiny little guy out there on the swim team. He played baseball. He played soccer. I mean, he, he was doing everything. He was living the best little life. Trying to be the triplet, right? 100%. Trying to be the triplet. <laughs> and he loved telling people that his heart had stopped and that he got a second chance at life. He would tell everyone. And um, that was kind of his story. And he always wanted... I have so many videos of him saying, when I grow up, I want to be a doctor because I want to help save other babies. And that was just oh. who he was. Yeah. He just lived life to its fullest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So amazing. I mean, it's so funny. You just like you got that miracle that so many of us didn't, you know, and but then <laughs> the miracle didn't come Yep. the next time. It didn't. So we thought you know, we had our perfect little life. Um, we had our three boys. Yep. Avon had just started first grade <laughs> this past summer mm -hmm. and everything was wonderful. We had gone down to the beach and we were hanging out with our family and friends one day. And he said, you know, mom, my head hurts. And we're like, well, we're at the beach. It's hot. You probably didn't drink enough water, you know, right. a little dehydrated. Mm-hmm. You know, we had plans to go out and get ice cream and go play putt-putt. And he said, you know, do you still want to go? Yeah, mom, I'm okay. Okay. We didn't think anything of it. Sure. Went out, played putt-putt. He had a big ice cream cone with sprinkles. That was his thing. He loved, he loved sprinkles on his ice cream. <laughs> and uh -huh. we came home and um, he went to bed and, you know, we didn't really think anything else of it. And the next morning, sure. he walked into our room and um, one look at him, we knew something 
something was really wrong. He had a very high fever. He was just saying his head hurt so bad. And every time he would move, he was vomiting. So again, it was, you know, the height of COVID and it was just kind of in our area hitting kids. And so that's kind of what we assumed was, you know, maybe he had COVID and we took him to the urgent care because we weren't at home. We went to the urgent care down at the beach and um, we did a flu test and a COVID test. And they said, nope, he's negative. He probably has strep throat and sent us home. And we went back to that beach house and we just kept saying, this is, this is not strep throat. Like something, something is not right. Yeah. And so we decided to leave and to come straight back to UNC hospital, UNC Chapel Hill, where he had been, you know, multiple times before. And on the way to the hospital, I kept having to wake him up. He was just sound asleep and he would wake up and talk to me, but then he would go right back to sleep. And for our little six and a half year old boy who talks all the time, that wasn't normal. (laughs) Right, right. Um, so we got into the hospital and, you know, no one really knew kind of what was going on. They were considering sending us home, maybe to admit us for observation. And as long as he was just Mm -hmm. sleeping, he was okay. And finally someone said, you know, maybe we should just rule out meningitis. And I'm thinking to myself, meningitis, like we no way. (laughs) Like that's, that can't be. Um, but they attempted a spinal tap in the middle of the night, but they were not successful in getting that. They decided to admit us overnight. We were just kind of status quo. I mean, his fever was high. He would wake up and talk to us and he would, you know, get sick when he moved. That next afternoon, they were able to successfully complete a a spinal tap um, and set that off Mm -hmm. for, you know, the studies to see what was going on. And that night, so two days after his symptoms started, things started going downhill pretty quickly his respiratory rate and his heart rate, his blood pressure, he was hallucinating, just things weren't good. And so they admitted us into the intensive care unit where we had been so many times before, but it was right. the same doctors we knew and the same nurses that we knew. So there was a level, a level of comfort. Sure. Sure. Cause this is the kid. This is the miracle kid, right? It is a hundred percent. And we were really optimistic, you know, we, whatever we have, you know, they were telling us, you know, if it's meningitis, depending on what kind you could be here for, you know, a couple weeks. And we're like, okay, we got this. Like mm-hmm. we've done this. This is our second home. We've done this before. So we were kind of prepared for that. And then that Tuesday, so um, Tuesday around lunchtime, they came in and our worlds came crashing down. They said to us that he had an amoeba called Nagleria phalari that we hadn't even heard of, didn't even know existed. And it's basically an amoeba that is found in all freshwater ponds, lakes, rivers, hot tubs, or sorry, hot springs. But then it's also can be found in improperly chlorinated pools, hot tubs, splash pads, things like that. And, um, they said that on the spinal, the spinal tap, they had seen this and that things were not good. You know, I did what every mom does, right? I went to the bathroom and I Googled it to, I'm sure you did. <laughs> and the statistics came right up and the statistics said, you know, 99% fatal. And yeah. that hit me. We just don't have a good way to treat it at <laughs> all. There is... There is no treatment at this time. I mean, there's a couple medications. So in the scheme of things, there's been just over 150 cases in the United States. And then there's been five survivors since they've been documenting this. And so we knew our chances were 
out against him, but we, we felt like, you know what, he's done this before. Like we, right. we got this. <laughs> so we can do this. Right. And at this time he was still talking to us. He would still answer our questions. He knew who we were. He had had that little, you know, hallucinations the night before, but on Tuesday he was with us. So they had us bring in our twins, which was by far the hardest thing ever. Right. And we got to make some crafts with them, did handprints together. They asked us, actually, they asked Avon what his favorite song was. And he said the Power Rangers song. <laughs> and so all of us, <laughs> our twins and my husband and I, um, we sat there and sang the Power Rangers song together. We read the Invisible String together. One time when they were making us the handcrafts together, they asked Avon, they said, what's your favorite color? And he's always said blue. Blue is, blue is this color. And at that moment, uh -huh. he said rainbow. And we all kind of looked at each other. We're like, rainbow? But fast forward now, rainbow has brought us so much comfort. You know, so we, wow. you know, we kind of think to ourselves, was he seeing some beautiful color in the sky? Rainbow. Was he giving us some comfort? You know, I don't know. But we made... We made these crafts together and our minister happened to be there and he said a prayer. And as he said a, the prayer, Avon rose his hands up and he did like this. Um, and he was, he knew, he knew we were there with him and we gave him a big kiss and we told him we loved him and they put him into a coma and drilled a little hole in his head to put a drain in because they told us that mm -hmm. with this amoeba, the pressure is going to build up. And we need a drain to be able to relieve this pressure as it builds up in hopes of giving the few medications that they have time, time to work. Right. So right. we told them we loved him and, you know, they put him in the coma and put the drain in and then, and then we waited. Yeah. <laughs> so it was at that time that they started to ask us about exposure. You know, it's summer in North Carolina. We swim all the time. We had been at the beach. Mm -hmm. We had swam in a pond. The kids are on swim team. And it was then that we first learned that this amoeba is on all freshwater. And mm -hmm. our twins were swimming in the same water. Their family, friends, cousins were in the same water. But for whatever reason, he became infected yeah. with it. The following day, CDC gave us official diagnosis. And this is, in fact, you know, what he, what he had. Um, and then we just sat at his bedside and we waited for our miracle. <laughs> Right. People all over the country were, were praying for him. Our school community, our baseball community. I mean, everyone, they were holding prayer get togethers. Everyone was, you know, had on their social media pages, number six, you know, we thought he was going to be miracle number six. He was going to be the sixth survivor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Thursday night, Thursday night was bad. <laughs> the doctor that was there Thursday night was the same doctor that had been there when he had his cardiac arrest at six months. And we trusted him and we knew, yeah, you know, we, we know it was a blessing that he was the one there with us, but he said, you know, we're going to high five every hour. We make it tonight. His pressures were just getting higher and higher. And we did, we sat there at his bed that night and we high fived every single hour that we made it. And he came into the room about 4am and he said, you know, the pressures are too high. Essentially there's brain damage, irreversible brain damage, and there's nothing else we can do. And, um, so my husband and I sat there and we climbed in bed with him and we held him and we told him how much we loved him. And we had to turn off the machines that were keeping him alive. 
So he passed away August 13th. It was 11 days after he had been swimming, just five days after his symptoms started. So our little perfect little boy. Um, just in a yeah, week. We weren't expecting it. It was. No, of course not. I mean, you wouldn't even think about yeah. it. I mean, never. Yeah. I mean, we swim in lakes every mm-hmm. Every day in the summertime, right? I mean, that's just what you do. It's not it's not an unusual thing. So there's no reason to expect this. And especially I think with you having had and lived that miracle before, you just think that it's gonna happen, right? You just think you've kind of done your hard thing. Right? Hundred percent. And this is this is going to turn out. It's going to be okay. So just how hard that is when it's not and that's not what ends up happening what everyone wanted to happen right the whys the whys are hard you know why my child that was born early and why my child that had this cardiac arrest at six months and why my child now and wrapping our head around that has been has been really hard yeah for sure. But when we look at how many lives that he touched, mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost on a daily basis. I'll get a picture from one of his classmates who I didn't even know. I mean, you know, first grade and they've been doing virtual school for, you know, most of kindergarten. I don't know a lot of the kids in his class. Sure. You know, one of the moms almost daily will send me a picture that a kid has drawn or I'll, one of the teachers at the school will send me a message and say, you know, the class was talking about Avon today. And it's just been really amazing to see how many lives that he touched in his few little years. Yeah. And I know in that email that you wrote me, you talked about how he had his first miracle. Mm-hmm. But then he also had another, right? So even though it wasn't the answer to prayer that you wanted, you still really define what happened as a miracle. As So talk about that. Talk about how you do feel like the miracle came, just a different one than you wanted. Yeah, I mean, we definitely didn't get the miracle we wanted. If we did, right, we would be here. But a lot of good has come out of the last six months. We've seen just a community that rallies behind a neighbor. But what we have also been able to do is we've been able to create a foundation to raise awareness, to raise funds, to work with education and training, research, um, trying to find new medications out there and a way to earlier to diagnose this amoeba earlier. Mm -hmm. That's key. And what we found out was there really is not a lot out there. Um, There's a couple small family foundations that have done amazing things, but um, there's just a not, not a lot out there. And so literally a week after he passed, we created our foundation. It's called Amazing Avon's Quest for Amoeba Awareness. And to date, we've raised over $230,000. Wow. Pretty amazing. And it's all because of him. It's not because of me. It's not because of, you know, anything I've done, but it just speaks volume to how many lives that he has touched and all the amazing things he did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just thinking back to my own medical school training when you're learning about infectious disease and things like that. 
you just don't talk about the amoeba because there's just no way to treat it. There, there are a couple things that are that fall into that category, and and amoeba are are one of them. I mean, it's not a bacteria, it's not a virus, it's a totally different kind of thing, and they're just we just don't have that technology to have effective things that can really kill those organisms. I mean, while saving a life, right? It's just so, so difficult. Well, the thing that we've learned is, you know, by the time your symptoms start, symptoms typically start anywhere from one to nine days after exposure. And by the time that Mm -hmm. you start with symptoms, it has multiplied so much that even very early diagnosis within the hospital, but the only way to diagnose at this time is by seeing the amoeba in the spinal fluid. So you have to. Mm -hmm. Yep. You have to actually see it there. Yeah. And you have to have doctors that know the questions to ask. And that's what we found, you know, a lot of the doctors at the hospital, they would say, you know, we read about that one time in medical school. Yeah, literally. That's it. That is it. That's it. Um, so we're really excited. We have some really great partnerships that are kind of, that are in the works. Some are talking to some researchers about some new possible medications and some new possible early diagnosis, but we're also working with local hospitals to train staff to train ER doctors to do some education on that side so that if a patient does come in, you know the questions to ask. You know if it's warm outside, you know to ask if they've traveled to somewhere else, even if it's the middle of winter, if they've traveled to a warm place and had freshwater exposure. Mm -hmm. But now it's also there have been cases with splash pads and things like that, but just helping people know the questions to ask so that we can try to prevent this in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's nice that you're able to kind of get funding too. I, I've got friends who do research and that's always difficult, right? It's difficult to get funding for things. You end up getting government funding or pharmaceutical company funding as a lot of the funding research. And for something rare like this, it's difficult to get either one. Yes. It's difficult to get it from the government because they feel like, well, we've got to spend our money where you get more bang for your buck a little bit, right? And you have more people that would be potentially affected. And then a pharmaceutical company too is like, nah, I don't not sure spending a lot of money on this, we will be able to make it make it up because you have to be able to make it up on the opposite end to make the money on a medication, right? So that's why I think the private funding ends up being the way to go kind of early on like this because there are certainly people that are interested that would love to do research on this but it's just that if you can't have somebody be able to get you some money to do it 100 just doesn't happen that's kind of where we are and you know we're hoping we're hoping to make a difference we have some other pretty cool exciting things that don't necessarily relate to the medical part but it helps tell our Fun story. We have a dear friend that volunteered to write a book about Avon, but it's not, it's not about the end. It's not about what happened. It's living life to its fullest. So it's a superhero theme. And we're super excited to just, you know, be able to share this children's story and for other kids, you know, to see kind of what it's like to be a little boy out there loving life and living to its fullest. 
Well, and I love that too. I mean, that's the kind of the coolest thing about Avon in a lot of ways was the way he lived. And I think the way he told people about how he was a little living miracle, right? My heart stopped for 42 minutes. I mean, that's a cool thing to be able to say. And I think he lived like his heart stopped for 42 minutes too. And you raised him as that kid who really got a second chance that a lot of kids don't. Mm-hmm. He did. Right? I mean, that's how he lived his life. He lived his life like it was a gift because it was. Yep. He never took a minute for granted. And, um, you know, he was, he had the biggest imagination. <laughs> he loved to dress yep. up. Um, so, you know, he still, even at six, you know, he still had uh, doctor's appointments where he was followed by cardiology and pulmonology. And all of the doctors laughed because every time he would have an appointment, you never knew what costume he would wear. He would head to toe, come dressed in some costume. But everyone knew him and everyone, that was just his personality. The last couple months he was alive, his favorite thing movie um, was The Greatest Showman. And so he would dress up as the circus, I don't even know what you call them, but the guy and he would sing a million dreams and he knew it really word. He made us listen to it every morning on the way to school. And I just, I kind of, it sits with me now. And I think, you know, that was his life was having all of these dreams and just making something of it, you know? It's funny you say that because yesterday I saw a little kid who came in as the, the dressed up as the flash. He was quite proud of himself in his flash outfit and I kept talking about how fast he was the whole visit. So I love, I mean, six-year-olds are just so amazingly fun anyway. So it was, it was neat to hear kind of that side of him. I think that really silly, imaginative side. Yes, and that's even definitely had that. I mean, he, sometimes he would pretend that he was one of grandpa's cows and he would make us talk to them like a cow. And sometimes he had a little owl costume he would dress up as and he would only answer to us if we talked to him like an owl, but that was just his, his personality. He just, he loved, he loves life. I want you to tell the story about how his name came to be and what that kind of means to you now too, because that's a cool story. Yeah. So when we had our kids, um, we wanted family names and so when we first found out we were having twins, we had a girl name and a boy name. You know, we never imagined we'd have two boys. Well, we got two boys and we named them after the grandpas <laughs> and, you know, love their names, couldn't be happier. And then we find out we're pregnant again. We're like, oh, it's going to be a girl. We have all these girl names, right? No, it's another boy. <laughs> my husband had a very close relationship with his grandmother and he really wanted to use her name somehow in one of our children's names. And like, well, we aren't having another kid. We've had three kids early. Um, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And so we kind of played with the letters and his grandmother's name, which was Neva. And we flipped them around and we created Avon. And we loved it. Um, it meant something to us. We knew where it came from, but it wasn't blatantly apparent to everyone else that he was named after, you know, a grandmother. But his name was Avon, A-V-E-N. And very mm-hmm. shortly after he passed away, someone shared with me, they said, you know, you can't spell heaven without Avon. And it 
stops me in my tracks. And I'm like, you know what? You can't. <laughs> and that's kind of been our, been our thing now. You know, we know without a shadow of a doubt that that's where he is. It's comforting to know that even, even in heaven, they go, they go together <laughs> hand in hand. Yeah. You talked about, was it a bumper sticker or something that you did? Yep. Uh-huh. Um, the town, some friends of ours created some bumper stickers that say heaven And, you know, anytime I drive out now, I see people all over town that have them on their back of their car and just kind of a a reminder, you know, it is our Avon, but there's also a better place out there too. And just that, I think that peace and knowing that can be really comforting for sure. Because it's, yeah, it's so hard to be here without them, but at least, Yeah. (laughs) It's 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 just tough, right? Because you really desperately just want him here with you. But at least you can know he's happy. <laughs> you might not be happy. <laughs> yeah, we miss him and it's been it's been hard for all of us. It's been really hard for our kids and I mean to yeah. go through- Talk about that. Talk about the twins and what's how they've been doing. Um, so it's very interesting, you know, everyone thinks twins are the same, but they couldn't be more different. <laughs> Um, and their grieving yeah. process was very different as well. One was much quieter. He, mm-hmm. His grief came out as anger, and that was really hard. Most of it was directed towards me. You know, I'm his comfort person, and so that's kind of how it came out yeah. was anger. Just in, you know, tone of voice, things like that, that were not him. Um, thankfully, over the last couple months, that has kind of subsided, and he's kind of getting back to his you know, quote unquote, normal self. Our other twin is much more emotional. You know, we've last since he was born, you know, you never question what he's feeling. Happy, sad, crazy, whatever. Yeah. You don't ever question it. And that's kind of how his grief has been too. So lots of nights of um, him crying before bed, writing stories, drawing pictures. He talks about it more. So it's been very hard to navigate, you know, our own grief while also dealing with their grief, which is very, very different. You know, the boys, they each could have their own room at our house, but they all chose to sleep in the same room together. All three of them did? They did. (laughs) They had bunk beds in there and they all three wanted to be together. It was a fight most nights of who got to sleep with who, (laughs) Um, because they all, they all three wanted to be in the same bed, but that's how close they were. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for them to go to bed at night and not have that, you know, not have their brother with them was really hard. Yeah. Well, really hard for all of you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just such a reminder. Yeah. I feel, I mean, I feel like every parent that's lost someone kind of feels the same way, but you get up and you don't know what to expect that day. <laughs> every day is a yeah. challenge and it's new and different ways. You know, celebrations have been interesting say interesting that's not the right word but you know it's hard we just celebrated our twins birthday and it's like you want to be happy for them because it's their birthday but it's also hard to be happy mm-hmm. so it's walking that that fine line the day before their birthday was what we called Avon's homecoming day it was the day that we brought Avon home from the hospital for the first time and I was reading back on my memories on social media and I I talked about how happy that day was you know, the first day we brought him home from the hospital and how our family was together and how, you know, nothing could stop us. And then I look to this year and it's like, wow, that, that piece is missing. And that's hard. Yeah. It's so hard. 
So talk about you and your your journey a little bit. And we kind of focused on the family a little bit, but what about you? <laughs> what about me? <laughs> In a good way, I did not know anyone locally that had lost a child. Mm-hmm. You know, I have people, friends that have lost parents and siblings, but I did not at the time know anyone that had lost a child. And that was a very mm-hmm. lonely place. Yeah. You know, found a, a support group and it, it was wonderful. But again, I was the only person that had lost a child. And there's a difference, you know, there's a difference, you know, not to say that people who've lost a parent, it's any less, it's just different. Um, There's no other way to explain that. Yep. I 100% agree. I've been very thankful over the last couple months that I had made some connections with some other moms, particularly that have lost their children. And it has just kind of opened up a whole new a new realm. And they kind of put themselves out there. I mean, they reached out to me and just said, you know, Hey, I'm local. I also lost a child. Let's get together. And that has meant the world and just the connection that you can feel with another mom that's going, going through it has been pretty amazing to me. Yeah. It's just such a lonely place to sit when you're sitting in that. And when you can be with someone else, it's, I think other people in some ways think it's a, might think it's a little bit odd and a little bit strange that you want to do that to kind of hear those stories and put yourself in that place because they feel like, well, doesn't that remind you of your own sadness? But it just actually gives you so much hope. I think that if they can do it, so can I. Just feeling that that comfort from other people that you're just not alone. Well, and what I've found is I want to talk about Avon. I want to talk stories. Yeah. I want to share with people, but it makes people uncomfortable and people don't. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people don't say anything. And yeah, in the beginning, that would upset me. You know, I've run into someone in the grocery store and clearly they knew and they wouldn't acknowledge it. And that was hard. Now I'm kind of at a place where I understand that it's not meant out of a, you know, they're not being disrespectful. They just don't know what to say. Yeah. So then they say nothing. When you're with other parents, you can talk about your kids and it's just normal. (laughs) And they want to hear it. I mean, that's the beautiful thing is you want to be able to talk about your child to someone who actually wants to hear it. Because otherwise you think, do they really even want to know this? And, yeah. mm-hmm. and you know, my husband and I, we have grieved very differently. Yeah. And I think that's very typical. You know, I love pictures. Pictures bring me comfort. I have picture, I mean, you see them behind me. I have pictures all over our house because that's memories for me. At Christmas, I had Christmas pictures printed and put up on our mantle of Avon because it brought me closeness where with my husband, it's hard for him to look at pictures. Yeah. It's too raw. And it's, you know, I have, we had a little baseball card made for the funeral that we passed out to people and I have it sitting in my dash on my car and it's his little picture of baseball and it's there with me. And my husband gets in the car, he has to, you know, put that away. And so it's hard to find that balance of, what I need and what he needs and what our kids need. And um, it's kind of like walking. Well, especially because you said the kids are grieving so differently too. So now you've got four different people grieving the exact same person in four very different ways. So to try to balance that out and find the right place to be is really difficult. It's, you know, and in the beginning, you know, we, 
we had a couple of days at home where it was quiet, but we, we had two young kids that had to get back to school and sports. And so we, I won't say we ever like sat at home and, you know, a lot of people when they lose someone, they sit at home and they're quiet and they're to themselves. And that wasn't us. We kind of immediately went back out into society and we stayed busy and that, that was helpful, but it was hard too. Um, Cause we didn't really have that time to take in all that had just, that had just happened. It was back to work for my husband and back to school for the kids. There wasn't a lot of, a lot of healing time in the very beginning, but I think we're all, we're doing the best we can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you, did you find time to get that healing time later? You think? Uh, Are you still kind of waiting? Still working through it. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think it's important to be able to do and to give yourself that time. I know I've talked before about my therapist talking about, you know, you keep that grief up on a shelf and you can put it away for little bits of time because you have to, right? When you're taking your other boys to sporting events and taking them to school and doing that, you can't always be feeling at all at those moments. That's, that's too much. But when you have the time, then taking it off the shelf, opening up the box, working with your grief, thinking about your grief, dealing with it is important because those, it's not going to go away, right? If you stick it on a shelf and just leave it there, it's not going to go away. It's still going to be there. So pulling it out bit by bit, working through it day by day, moment by moment, you know, even 15 minutes here or, or there can help you, I think in the long run to be able to work through things. And it's, um, you know, I, I was recently talking to Gwen and, and she ta- was talking to someone who said that they hated when she used the word heal or when any of us use the word heal, because it's not something you heal from. And it's true that it's not something you heal from and that it looks perfect, right? I mean, I, I think about, you know, when you read magical stories and someone is injured gravely and they heal them and now there's no scar, there's nothing and they look perfect. That will never happen. You are going to be a messy pile of scars at the end, but that doesn't mean that hasn't been healing. It's just not an open wound anymore. It's still a wound. It's still there. It still can bother you, but it's changed. And now it's a wound with a big scar on it, but it's got a scar on it. So it's not the exact same as it was, right? So that's when we talk about healing and we talk about working through the grief and helping yourself through that. It's just kind of getting to that point. Great analogy. It's right. It's, you know, the scab is formed over right but you'll always have the scar from it <laughs> you always will and and i i love how you even use the scab word now because the thing is is there are going to be days when that scab's going to pull off and the wound's going to be fresh and open and feeling really bad again almost as like it just happened again and that will happen and it happens to all of us but know that over time still, it does change. It does. And, you know, we see almost every day we see signs of Avon, you know, whether it's, he loved frogs and I can't tell you how many frogs I found in my house now, which is just weird and gross. (laughs) 
you're finding frogs in your house? He loved frogs and he, we live on a little farm. He was constantly holding frogs and putting them in his pockets. And I'll find a frog in my kitchen now. And I've never had frogs in my house before. <laughs> um, and I just have to laugh. I'm like, okay, but I know you're with us. I know, I know you're here, but <laughs> yeah, but just lots of little little things that just remind us that he's with us. And, you know, even though that scab will always be there, uh, you know, it, it will heal, but our will forever be different. For sure. Never be the same person. And you're not even going to look the same, right? You're not. No, I'll never be that same person I was on August 12th. We're different, but different doesn't have to be bad, but it's just different. Yeah. Yeah. You hinted at rainbows a little bit too, that maybe that has a has changed for you and and a little bit of a sign for you. So what was that? Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, like I said, when you know, right before they put him um, into the medically induced coma, he told us rainbow was his favorite color, and I cannot uh-huh. see how many rainbows we see now. We were just out west skiing, and it was a blizzard. It was skiing like crazy or snowing like crazy, and couldn't see anything. And we're going down our last slope of the day and the sun's not out. It's not raining. And all of a sudden there's this big giant rainbow in the sky. And I just have to think, okay, that's, that's you here. And I can't tell you how many people, friends, family send me pictures of rainbows all the time. I walk through our kitchen now and I'll see a rainbow on the floor where the sun is, the sun's coming in. It's just, it's, it's pretty amazing to see, to see little signs of it. And it brings us, it brings us comfort and hope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Stephanie's daughter, Kian is a rainbow gal too. And every time I see rainbows anywhere, I am always clipping a picture and, and sending it to Stephanie as well. You remind me of my little parent support group team that I started with because I don't know if you know this, but my friend Megan, who was also in that group, her daughter also died on August 13th. So it was the two days before Andy. So obviously a different year. So 2018. But so that that day has has meant something to me already. So I I, I don't know that whole week. I, I know so many people whose anniversary dates of their child's death are within days of Andy's just that week in August. And not sure how that happened to be, and maybe it didn't just happen to be. I don't think. But no, no, probably not. Probably <laughs> <just> not. <laughs> I know. I have in that in that week. I have so many little notations of different different people. So, oh, so you have a website too, right? And you created this foundation. So. T- Tell us a little bit about that and how people might want to get more information. Yep. So our website is just Um, Mm amazingaven.org. I love that. So Amazing Aven. And that's kind of the book that's coming out. It's going to be The Adventures of Amazing Aven. And it's just kind of, kind of run, you know, stood out for us as far as like the superhero theme and everything. Sure. Um, But our foundation is Amazing Aven's Quest for Amoeba Awareness. And we really are, it's kind of, you know, threefold. It's getting education out, awareness, awareness within the general public. So people know if you're taking your kid to the lake and the water temperatures are, you know, wear nose plugs or don't let your kid go underwater. That's the only way the amoeba can get into your brain is through your nose, not 
from one person to another. It can't from swallowing it. It's just up your nose. So awareness within the general public, but then also awareness uh, within the medical community, making it so the doctors and nurses know the right questions to ask if a kid comes into the urgent care, the emergency room and that they know the tests to look for. A second part of our foundation is research, looking for new medications Mm -hmm. that can help treat and make a difference. And, you know, it's just, it's trying to prevent another tragedy like this from happening again. We're excited about it. On our website, we have Avon's story. Um, We have a video that kind of It shows some clips of him and it goes into a little bit more detail about what happened. It also has some links um, with some good research information from this directly from the CDC about signs and symptoms and things like that. And we're excited to have, you know, some events each year where we can get back to the community, but also raise money and, and just do it all in memory of him. Yeah. It does help to be able to do something kind of with him, right? It helps to do something. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I've really enjoyed hearing about Avon and just his just awesome spirit because I just think he's just such a fun, amazing little Avon. So thank you. Thank you, Marcy. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.